Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. This week we will be discussing the Eighth Commandment, to not steal. Behind this commandment lies the Bible's view of property. Our basic human existence requires not only life and health, protected by the Sixth Commandment, and committed relationships, covered by the Seventh Commandment, but a minimum of stuff, a basic material infrastructure for life, food, clothing, shelter, tools, and so on. That is why the Eighth Commandment declares, you shall not steal. Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. I'm your host, Pastor Kirk Sexton, and with me is my good friend and colleague, Pastor Bruce Johnson. It's good to be with you, Kirk, and I have dressed up for the occasion. Yeah, you should tell us about, our listeners can't see this beautiful tie, but you should tell us a little bit about that tie. Well, just this morning, I was visiting with Mary Jo Norton, and she loved lost her beloved husband, Bill, several months ago, and she brought a couple things that were owned by Bill. I wanted me to have them, and one of them was this tie that has the Ten Commandments on them in English and Hebrew. And I really can't read it from here, but it looks beautiful. Yeah, it's great. It doesn't match the shirt I picked out for today. I didn't know I'd be given this tie, but... Well, actually, I was going to say that the combination is causing me to be a little dizzy. I think I've got vertigo or something. Yes, I'll have to, (laughs) next time I wear a more appropriate shirt, a a non-patterned shirt. But uh, I feel very dressed up for the podcast today. Can you believe we're in week eight already? And it's hard to believe. It just we, it just seems like such a thing like we've been doing for years and years, just getting together to talk about Scripture. I guess we have, but not recording a podcast as we've talked. I visited with some people who are visiting our church, and they thought, oh, a series on the Ten Commandments sounds kind of dry and boring, but they had really good things to say about the sermon on Sunday. Yeah, I I thought it was a helpful sermon. You know, Steve's doing a good job in um, making sure we don't read it, one of the Ten Commandments, and say, oh, well, I don't have a problem with that. You know, that's for other people. Mm. Uh, And he's really saying, well, no, no, let's let's do a deep dive into these commandments and uh, turn them over and see what the implications of each of these commandments. And like all of these, they have far-reaching implications when you start to consider them in that way. So that's why we'll do a full dig into the Eighth eighth Commandment today. A full dig. Yes, so the Eighth Commandment is, Thou shall not steal. That comes from Exodus 20.15. And then the parallel text from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 19, uh, is, Neither shall you steal. So we talked about that last week when we get into the second part of the Ten Commandments. The first part is, Commandments 1 through 4, they deal with our relationship uh, with God. And the second part of the Ten Commandments, Commandments 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, they all deal with our relationships with other people. Mm. And in the Deuteronomy version of the Ten Commandments, all of those last six commandments are linked together with a conjunction and, 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 and. Mm. So um, in Hebrew, very compact language, so the conjunction and is just a single letter. In Hebrew, the letter Vav. So it's not lo, which means no, but velo, and not, or Mm -hmm. neither, Mm -hmm. shall you steal. Uh, And I thought that was interesting, uh, looking at that passage in the original language in Deuteronomy again, to notice all of those ands that link all of that second part of the Ten Commandments together. I thought that was significant. Mm -hmm. And it, it 
reminded me of a verse in the New Testament about if you break one of the commandments, you break them all. Mm-hmm. I thought it was somewhere in Paul's letter, but Paul's letters, but actually comes from the book of James. This is James chapter 2, verse 10, where James says, For whosoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Mm-hmm. In other words, um, virtue is all of one cloth. Uh, you can't say I'm virtu- virtuous in one area of my life, but I'll let other parts of my character slide. No, it, it's we, we want to be people that are in the pursuit of truth and goodness and beauty in all of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, great counsel to us, and makes sense then why all of those commandments, second half of the Ten Commandments, are linked together like mm-hmm. that in Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. And do you remember we went into Ebal and Gerizim? Uh, who could forget a real cringeworthy? Thing. Cringeworthy, it was. Where uh, again, the the setup is in the book of Joshua. Uh, we have people going to Ebal and Urizim to do what God had commanded through Moses for that generation that was going to go into the Promised Land. After you have conquered the land, then go to the certain location and divide up half half of you, half the tribes on one mountain, half of you on the other, and you're shoot, shouting back and forth. This, these are the curses that will happen if you don't keep the law. These are the blessings that will happen if you do keep God's law, if you do keep, keep the covenant with God. And we see in those curses, at least the ones that are recorded for us, that you have uh, an interpretation of the Ten Commandments or an expansion of the Ten Commandments, what they began to see hmm. uh, as they tried to live out the Ten Commandments in that second and a half generation after Moses. So what did they shout to one another about the... Eighth commandment, Kirk. Cursed be anyone who moves a neighbor's boundary marker. And all the people say amen. Mm. So that's uh, very much is theft, but in a very sneaky way, isn't it? Yes. Uh, It's like if you have a um, property line between you and your neighbor, Mm -hmm. and you build uh, the fence between your neighbor and yourself over in your, fully on your neighbor's side, and so you have just a little bit of property that all of a sudden becomes yours. Mm-hmm. That's mo- moving the boundary marker. Stealth. 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 You know, it brings up the idea that burglary sometimes is, well, burglary um, is one kind of stealing, and then there's robbery. Uh, one is more stealthy, if that's a word, than another one. I think that's a word. Mm. Stealth robbers. Yes. So it's unseen, but it's it's being done. And then other ones are are visible. You know, when a guy comes to you with a gun and says, give me all your money, that's that's a very visible one. Yes, that's uh, armed assault or armed robbery, right? Yes. Other ones might be, you know, cheating on our taxes. Exactly. Now, now you would think that these are modern uh, inventions, all of these distinctions between different types of theft, but actually we see those in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before, Kirk, how you find the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and all the Ten Commandments are apodictic commandments. That is, they're in the you shall or you shall not mm-hmm. uh, format. And they're followed by three chapters in the book of Exodus that are all casuistic laws. So instead of you shall or you shall not, it's if this is the case, then this is the result. Mm-hmm. And we have that in Exodus chapter 22, where it talks about laws of restitution. Mm-hmm. If, if a robbery has been done, what are the laws of restitution? So maybe we could go over a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in the first 15 verses 
of Exodus chapter 15. The language is, is kind of tricky here, so in the New International Version, they've combined several of the initial verses of Exodus chapter 22, and so you string them together in a slightly different way so they make more sense in English. Mm. So if I'm reading from that New International Version of Exodus chapter 22, it reads, when somebody steals a ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, the thief pays five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. That is, they have to uh, go over and above just the sheep that they stole mm -hmm. to make restitution. And then it goes on, the thief shall make restitution if unable to do so, shall be sold for the theft. That is, you, you, you can't pay the uh, crime. Uh, you'll, you'll pay with your own life and become an indentured service, servant for a certain amount of years. Mm -hmm. And it continues, when the animal, whether ox or donkey or sheep, is found alive in the thief's possession, the thief shall pay double. Mm. So again, it's, it's not just um, giving back what's not yours, but adding to that for the uh, trouble and the hardship um, that has a, happened in the life of the victim. These are very specific. Very specific. So You know uh, that these are offenses that have happened. Have happened. They've had to deal with it. So mm -hmm. it's, they, you accumulate case law. Uh, as you do with modern laws, you have uh, you know, a law that happens, and then you have, well, what about in this circumstance? And then you have a trial, and from that you get interpretations of the law that's written, the case law. And, that's, and we see something like that occurring within the Bible itself in Exodus chapters uh, 21 through 23. Mm -hmm. uh, why don't you pick another of these uh, casuistic uh, examples of, of how you handle different kinds of theft? When someone causes a field or a vineyard to be grazed over or lets livestock loose to graze in someone else's field, restitution shall be made from the best in the owner's field or vineyard. So again, something that well, maybe you can't uh, pay back because it's, it's been destroyed, the crops or the grass that was there. So you'll pay back from the, the choicest equivalent that you have, maybe even the you better feed for animals. How about another one? Uh, this one is from verses 7 and 8. It says, When someone delivers a neighbor to a neighbor money or goods for safekeeping, and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, then the thief, if caught, shall pay double. Hmm. If the thief is not caught, the owner of the house shall be brought before God to determine whether or not the owner had laid hands on the neighbor's goods. In other words, you know, whose fault is it? Who gets to pay? Well, you, you go and, and you, you bring that before God's authority, which would probably be, in many cases, the tribal elders, to figure out what do you do in those situations. So it's really trying to say, well, what do you do in a particular situation of theft, uh, which I appreciate. Do you want to go through any more of these? Or? No, I, I think people can do that on their own. Uh, I want to get to more of what the New Testament says about theft and about what Jesus says. Well, before I, we do oh, that, okay. not only in the Old Testament were we not to steal, but we were also not to stand passively by watching while others robbed, uh, are, are, are robbed of their possessions or, or while positions or possessions rather drifted away by accident. So if you... For example, in uh, 
Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. It says, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hate who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. Which is a great thing to point out, Kirk, because it talks about the character. God is very concerned about who we are, not just what we do. Mm-hmm. And if your character is um, someone that uh, is concerned about no one taking something that does not belong to them, you would get involved even if you're not directly related to the thing being st- stolen uh, or uh, ownership of, of that. You would do the right thing anyway. You'd be uh, proactive. You wouldn't stand on the sidelines. And this is uh, from Deuteronomy 22. It says, if you see your brother's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to him. If the brother does not live near you, or if you do not know who he is, take it home with you and keep it until until he comes looking for it. Then give it back to him. Do the same if you find your brother's donkey or his cloak, or anything he loses. Do not ignore it. And I've certainly had people, neighbors of mine, do that uh, once or twice when our dog has gotten out of the yard. <laughs> and you know, look at the dog's tags. Oh, it belongs to the Johnsons. Well, yeah. let's get this dog back to his home. We have uh, an occasion to babysit the wiener dog. Yes. Uh, uh, my daughter's dog, Olive, and she's an escape artist. And mm-hmm. uh, one time we were watching the dog, well... Somebody found the dog. We didn't even know she was out. She was called. Um, my my daughter was, and she's thinking, "What are mom and dad doing?" Right. Right. Also, in our texts um, in the Old Testament, you you find this idea of lending being a big issue. So yes. you're you're not supposed to charge uh, your neighbor if they're if they're within the the house of Israel. Right. You, you know, you're not supposed to charge interest or usury. If you were to charge interest to someone, especially in need, without resources, it was seen as theft. Yes, and we certainly um, decry people taking advantage of the poor. Uh, that's why we have laws in many states here in the U.S. against excessive interest charged on payday loans. Yes, I was thinking about that when I was preparing some of the ways that payday loans and even lottery uh, right. can be considered theft. Um, Proverbs um, nineteen seventeen says this, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. Isn't that a great verse? Mm-hmm. Love that verse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, Jesus had much to say about money. And uh, probably more about money than a lot of other things we concern ourselves with. So let's look at what he had to say. S- Matthew 6, I guess, right? right? The Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. We find in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus do, doing an interpretation of many of the Ten Commandments. And we, when we come to the Eighth Commandment, Jesus does something unusual, which is instead of uh, applying um, not just uh, what you do, but what's in your heart, he flips that and says, well, why are you so worried about your possessions, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Earlier in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you know, look to the lilies of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, they, the birds t- of the air. The birds of the air, they're, they're not sweating over what's happening uh, in them, and yet 
God feeds the birds of the air, God clothes the uh, flowers, the wildflowers. Mm-hmm. So don't you think God knows about your needs? Yes. Oh, you of little faith. <laughs> and in a similar light, when he gets to the Eighth Commandment, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's what Pastor Steve entitled this message on Ten Commandments. Uh, on this Do Not Steal, he says, the uh, title was uh, Where Your Treasure Is. Exactly. And he divided that into three different ways we can think about theft. Uh, theft from our neighbors, theft from ourselves, uh, which is really drilling down on what is important to us. Where, mm-hmm. What do we treasure? Mm-hmm. And then theft from God, mm-hmm. um, uh, a great way to think about any of the Ten Commandments. What, how does this apply to our relationship with others? What are we doing in terms of our own wholeness? And what does it do to our relationship with God? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought he's, uh, he's characterizing the stealing from ourselves when we are not caring for our family, you know, and we're working 24-7, we're not... We're robbing from our family. We're robbing from ourselves having that time and relationship with with family, too. So I thought that was really well yeah. done. Yeah, we have to be attentive to those kind of things. Yeah. Eugene Peterson, in his translation of this uh, verse that you just read, said, Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. Well, you know, Jesus did have a lot to say in Luke 12, 15. Pastor Steve didn't talk about this, but he says uh, to the people there, he says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he goes on to tell the parable of the rich man who stored up his, he built new uh, barns barns to store up his grain, and God called him a fool. And, and so, yeah, you, you fool this very uh, night, your souls demand of you. In other words, you're going to die before those barns go up. What were you doing? Yeah. What were you thinking? And Jesus concludes that parable by saying, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. Mm-hmm. So really looking at the inner life, what's really important to us, and that should be reflected. Now, of course, in the early church, you had people that had come from all sorts of backgrounds, including people who had been thieves and then came to faith in Christ. So there's some counsel about people in those situations we find in Ephesians chapter 4, mm-hmm. where we read, He who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Which is great. Instead of taking from others, work, work make a good, honest living, and then give to people who have less so yeah. that they won't steal either. Yeah, quit stealing and save up so you can be generous. Stop doing what is wrong, begin doing what is right. Yeah. yeah. Pastor Steve had that as sort of the, the positive side of this, that... 
we were to give extravagantly and uh, to eternal things. And he had that great quote from Saint Basil. Mm. Uh, Saint Basil, one of the patron saints of Russia, so an apt time to think about Saint Basil. Uh, I think the quote that he mentioned was, "When someone steals another's clothes, we call him a thief." Should we not give the same name to one who could clothe the naked and does not? The bread in your cupboard belongs to the hungry. The coat used in your, unused in your closet belongs to the one who needs it. The shoes rotting in your closet belongs to the one who has no shoes. The money which you hoard up belongs to the poor. Mm. So really uh, calling for Christians to be proactive and helping those in needs and sharing with others. That's a good word. Yeah. Now, Bruce, surely you couldn't find anything to talk about in the area of archaeology concerning this command. Well, actually, I could, Kirk. Uh, first is a very important principle uh, and something that we've heard of, grave robbing or people that will pillage archaeological sites. You know, mm. that's a big problem all over the world. Right. Uh, here in North America and certainly in the Middle East, uh, when you have stories of uh, people robbing pharaohs' tombs even in antiquity, and that's why you have some curses against grave robbers and some of the inscriptions. But it's a big problem uh, today in, in uh, the rest of the Holy Land, uh, and as I say, all over the world. And that is fed by the illegal market in stolen antiquities people that sell things in shops or online or on eBay uh, all the time, things that they've uh, dug up themselves uh, illegally on land that belongs to uh, different governments, and they'll try to sell that. And sometimes people hear rumors, well, there was gold that was deposited here long ago, so they'll you know, go and dig up a site. And uh, it's bad for the antiquities that are stolen that way, but it's also bad because they disturb an archaeological site. Mm. There's a Latin term that's used in archaeology. I, I think it's also used in medicine, and it's two words, in situ, which means in its original position. Mm. So if you're reading an um, article about archaeology and they talk about something that was found in situ, mm -hmm. that means uh, it was not disturbed before the archaeologists found it. It's in its original position. And that tells us a lot more about the Provence, the, the uh, location mm. uh, of that particular find. And you can do interpretations from that. If it's not found in situ, if it's found in the antiquities market, some of the Dead Sea Scrolls were found not in situ, but in the antiquities market. Mm. And uh, that makes it a little tougher to say everything that could be said about that find. Ancient coins are often found that way. You'll find uh, Roman coins, for instance, on sale in different antiquity sh shops. It'd be great to know where they came from. And uh, you wonder how careful the person was to get all that may have been there because archaeologists um, are very careful and cautious to, um, to get the surrounding areas and light brushing. Exactly. Uh, there's been such an advance in the science of archaeology uh, in my lifetime. Now we can do things where we can uh, find what was in a, an ancient pot uh, through different techniques, mm -hmm. uh, seeds that may be there, or pollen that can tell us a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, so uh, those things are lost uh, 
when something is uh, archaeological site is disturbed and things are stolen from it. I never knew that about the Dead Sea Scrolls. I, I guess I always thought they were all found in that cave. Well, you know, the rumor spread fast that, hey, there's some valuable stuff here. So, uh, yeah, uh, some of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, an archaeologist went to somebody's home and he lifted up, a, uh, I can't remember if it's a floorboard or a rug or whatnot, and found a little place where he had hidden all of these. <laughs> and then they had to do this long negotiations about buying those. Uh, another story from archaeology I wanted to share is something that occurred in the Dead Sea region in a particular valley that's called uh, Nahal Hever, and that's the Cave of Letters. It's called the Cave of Letters because uh, in it were discovered a number of letters, uh, many of them not quite as old as the famous Dead Sea Scrolls, mm -hmm. uh, but these were uh, a set of documents that are from the 2nd century A.D., from uh, what we call uh, the Roman era, uh, Roman period two, from, that happened between 70 AD, the destruction of Jerusalem, and uh, 180 AD, uh, when the, you know, that area, or the time of, when the last of the Old uh, New Testament books were written. So there was a revolt against Rome, the Second Jewish-Roman Wars, or sometimes called the Bar Kokhba uh, uh, revolt. Bar Kokhba was a, um, a Jewish nationalist in the second century, early second century AD, who uh, claimed to be the Messiah, or others claimed him to be the Messiah uh, in his name. And he tried to uh, get the land of Judea freed from Roman occupation. He was unsuccessful. Mm. So we found a number of artifacts from that period of time. Uh, including a set of letters that were all written by um, a woman of means who lived in Jerusalem. And among those letters, we also found a set of house keys, uh, six different house keys. So you piece the story together, and what we think happened is this woman was a follower of Bar Kokhba. She went away, hid out in a cave in, near the Dead Sea, and took along her house keys. She locked up her all of her house and, you know, uh, storage area and whatnot, thinking, I'll come back after the war is over, I'll be able to use it to unlock my house uh, so that uh, I've locked it so that thieves can't break in and steal while I'm gone. Right. Uh, but apparently she died in that cave. Uh, and that really brings um, to life the counsel of Jesus. Mm. Um, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. Mm. And that's what she had done, and was never able to enjoy what she had stored away that way. Mm. So, Well, maybe she didn't have a choice to, maybe she was fleeing persecution or death. And Exactly, yeah. You know, we think about uh, people that are trying to make the hard decision to stay in Ukraine right now, mm. or to flee to uh, Poland or some other a safe country, right. or safer country. Right. Yeah, very tough. Well, we've been each week looking at what eco-essential tenants have to say to us about the Ten Commandments, and we have some something to share there as well. Yes, again, this is from the very end of the eco-essential tenants, that um, statement of faith that all eco-pastors and elders and deacons uh, take oaths to say we will abide by these things. This is our common covenant. 
mm-hmm. Yiniko. And when you get to the end, it goes through uh, the Ten Commandments as a great tool for Christian living now to mm-hmm. say, we want to make sure that we are looking at the Ten Commandments and examining our lives so that we can live according to how God wants us to live. And on the Eighth Commandment, it says uh, we should hold one another accountable to practice right stewardship of the goods we have been given, showing charity to those in need, and offering generous support of the church and its ministries. So again, tying in uh, the command, do not steal, with positive ways that we can use what God has given us, blessing other people, and using that in the work of of Christ through the church. And it Uh, does capture that far-reaching nature of this commandment, too. Really echoing St. Basil's advice to us, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then our eco-confessional standards. Each week we've looked at the Heidelberg Catechism and question uh, 110 says, what does God forbid in the Eighth Commandment? And the answer is, God forbids the theft and robbery which civil authorities punish, but God also labels as theft all wicked tricks and schemes by which we seek to get for ourselves, our neighbor's goods, whether by force or under the pretext of right, such as false weights and measures, deceptive advertisement, or merchandising, counterfeit money, exorbitant interest, or any other means forbidden by God. He also forbids all greed and misuse and waste of his gifts. So you see right there, Kirk, a summary of those other verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament that uh, we read here on our podcast, uh, really saying uh, it's not just about don't steal. Mm. Think about trickery and think about how we can positively use what God has given us to help others. Question 111 asks this, but what does God require of you in this commandment? That I work for the good of my neighbor wherever I can and may. Deal with him as I would have others deal with me and do my work well so that I may be able to help the poor in their need. That sounds a lot like that Ephesians text that you read earlier. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, it certainly does. Mm -hmm. And, And concentration here on our character. God is wants all of us. God wants you, Kirk. God wants me. God wants every listener. Um, And so God is concerned about who we are Mm -hmm. deep down, our character. Well, the Westminster Larger Catechism, again, uh, catechisms are question and answer format to talk about uh, what we believe. And the Westminster Larger Catechism was written for adults. And there uh, it asks the question, question 141, what are the duties required in the Eighth Commandment? And the answer given is, the duties required in the Eighth Commandment are truth, faithfulness, and justice in contracts and commerce between people, rendering to everyone their due, restitution of goods unlawfully detained from the right owners of them, giving and lending freely according to our abilities and the necessities of others, moderation of our judgments, wills, and affections concerning worldly goods, a provident care and study to get, 
keep, use, and dispose of those things which are necessary and convenient for the sustenance of our nature and suitable to our condition, a lawful calling, and a diligence in it, frugality, avoiding unnecessary lawsuits and unjust obligations, uh, or other like engagements, and an endeavor by all just and lawful means to procure, preserve, and further the wealth and outward estate of others, as well as our own. That is also very far-reaching when we begin to look at it in that way. Mm -hmm. Question 142 asks this, What are the sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment? The sins forbidden in the Eighth Commandment, besides the neglect of duties required, are theft, robbery, human trafficking, and receiving anything that is, is stolen, fraudulent dealing, false weights and measures, removing landmarks, injustice and unfaithfulness in contrast between people or in matters of trust, oppression, extortion, usury, bribery, vexations, lawsuits, unjust enclosures and depopulations, engrossing commodities to enhance the price, unlawful callings, and all other unjust or sinful ways of taking or withholding from our neighbors what belongs to them, or of enriching ourselves, covetedness, inordinate prizing and desiring worldly goods, distrustful and distracting cares and studies in getting, keeping, and using them, envying at the property, rather envying at the prosperity of others, as likewise idleness, prodigality, wasteful gaming, and all other ways whereby we do unduly prejudice our own outward estate and defrauding ourselves of the due use and comfort of that estate which God has given us. Well, a lot of unusual words in that uh, statement, aren't there? Mm -hmm. uh, vexatious lawsuits. I, I have not, never heard vexatious uh, in a sentence before. I, I didn't look that one up either. Yeah, uh, or uh, prodigality, like the prodigal son. In other words, extravagance, extravagant living. So they've really looked at, both in the Heidelberg Catechism and the Westminster Larger Catechism, let's, let's think of uh, particular instances uh, that may be uh, either uh, not keeping the Ten Commandments in a positive sense or a negative sense. Uh, and let's lay that out so that we can encourage one another to do good. Mm. Uh, well thought out. Well, here again, idleness and and being wasteful gaming, I think that is uh, gambling, I suppose, right? Uh, not talking about video games, I suppose. No, I though, think... Though uh, you can be wasteful in spending too much time on video games, too. So did you find a C.S. Lewis quote this I, week? I did. It's from this essay he writes in 1957, and the essay is entitled Delinquents in the Snow. And some people don't like this essay by Lewis because they say Lewis is just getting crotchety in his old age at this point. So he starts off with uh, saying, you know how annoying it is when you're trying to 
settle down for dinner, and then there's a knock on your door in December, and it's carolers, and you say, I want to eat my food. I don't want to listen to carolers, and he, and he starts out that way. And I think he does that as a literary device so that he gets his audience right away. Okay. His audience begins to be interested in, oh, yeah, I know exactly what that is to be all ready for your supper, and then there's a knock on the door, and the carolers, and you have to wait till they sing, and they don't sing well. you know. Yeah. So now that he has the people, he starts talking about what he really wants to talk about. So he says, so a little while ago, uh, somebody broke into my tool shed in my garden. They stole a few things and, and stole what he describes as an optical instrument, probably his telescope that he used because he was an amateur astronomer. Mm-hmm. And so the uh, young hooligans are brought before whatever judge deals with the minors. And they lay out the case, and, and these kids had been doing this quite a bit. They, they were repeat offenders. And the judge lets them off easy. And, and Lewis says, that's not a good thing to do. Don't you know where that's going to end up? He says, well, the first thing is you give them a small fine so it doesn't punish them, it punishes their parents. Uh, and then he says, uh, I can think of no better way of leading them on without any sense of frontiers crossed from the mere inconsiderate romping and plundering orchards to burglary, arson, rape, and murder. <laughs> In other words, it says, this can't go well, and then he keeps on talking and says, hey, the thing I'm worried about is not that, uh, just that, but uh, you think where this may lead, you get people that say, I can't trust the police, I'm going to have to take law into my own hands, and then you get something like the KKK trying to take law in their own hands, this is going to be really bad for Britain. Come on, you know, let's, <laughs> let's deal with pe- people. Let's not get them thinking that if they're minors, they can just uh, break the law and they'll say, oh, it's all harmless. Says that This is not a good thing. You have to take theft seriously. Well, I really identified with this. I, You provided this quote to me earlier, yes. mm-hmm. and it brought back a memory I had. I had uh, a was living in Chicago, mm-hmm. and I uh, was living in the city, and my car was stolen. Oh, my goodness. You know, I had a small apartment, so I stored my golf clubs in there, and and I had a, a typewriter from my youth. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, the, the, they ended up getting the car back. Did you have your golf clubs still in the car? No. Your typewriter still in the car? No, none of that. Uh. So I had to uh, go to court, right? And I was there, and uh, the young person who stole the car said that when asked, you know, where did where did you get the car? He said, "Well, someone gave it to me." Ah. And so you didn't know you were that generous. Well, it's obviously the way you can get away with stealing cars in Chicago. You just say that somebody gave it to me. I don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So that the person, this uh, person didn't suffer any uh, penalty at all. Mm-hmm. That youth is not learning a lesson either. And uh, so who was out? Well, I was out the deductible. Right. I was out my typewriter, my golf clubs. I got my car back, but I had to get the car. It was, they had burned a hole in one of my seats, so I had to have that repaired. Right. So I was out time while that was being done and repaired. And 
And to be honest, that car never felt the same again. Right. Yeah. Uh, the violation, yeah. uh, that, that uh, burden, psychological burden after you've been the victim of right. robbery. Right. Yeah. And I was, I was kind of frustrated, too. I was frustrated that there was – it didn't seem like justice was mm-hmm. – was, uh, the victim was the one who's continuing to be victimized. If, if the person would have had to take my car to the place to get the, the upholstery fixed and made any kind of restitution at all would have been um, justice in my eye, but um, apparently not in Chicago. Well, Kirk, we also, besides looking at a C.S. Lewis quote, uh, we also try to share uh, some quote from Reform thinking and our Reform heritage. Uh, don't tell me that you went again to the deep well of John I, Calvin. I did. I went back to the well. John Calvin says this, There are many kinds of theft. One consists in violence, as when a man's goods are forcibly plundered and carried off, another in malicious imposture, as when they are fraudulently intercepted, a third in more hidden craft, which takes possession of them with a semblance of justice, and a fourth in sycophancy, which whiles away under the pretense of donation, if an agent or an indolent steward wastes the substance of his employer, or if a master cruelly torments his household, he is guilty of theft before God. So I don't know, do you know what a sycophant is? Sycophant, that's another word to look up. I did look at that one because I didn't know what that was. I didn't. Never took an abnormal psychology class in college. I don't know. It's insincere, insincere flattery. Ah. Um, Often, a person is flattering another to be able to take advantage of that person Ah. or or to get some kind of advantage. I've run into such people uh, in my lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that, and. Calvin goes on to say, let it be our constant aim faithfully to lend our counsel and aid to all so as to assist them in retaining their property. And not only so, but let us contribute to the relief of those who we see under the pressure of difficulties assisting their want out of our abundance. So there is that, you know, being gracious and, and, and giving... Uh, to those who are in need. So if you're not doing that, you're you're stealing. Right. And a good time for us to emphasize, I think, uh, those verses from, or that verse from Ephesians chapter 4, whoever has been stealing must steal no longer. Now that's in the Bible because some of the early Christians had come from that life of um, uh, doing a lot of bad things, including theft. So it's saying, well, don't do that anymore. Uh, but instead, uh, work hard, do something useful with your own hands that you can uh, have something to share with those in need. Do something positive instead of something that's negative. Mm. Yes. Well, Kirk, we started uh, a new thing at our last podcast where we close with some prayer that's uh, offering a model for us to uh, repent of past mistakes and get right with God. I shared one version of that, and you've brought another prayer of that type today. Yes, this um, comes from the Valley of Vision, and it's a collection of prayers from Puritans. Yes. And uh, it was, 
I first learned of it from Pastor Steve, and Pastor Streif learned of it from uh, Pastor uh, Bob Simmons. Ah, right. So uh, I've used this quite often, and some, and with my men, I've used it as a way of praying. Uh, this one here, I you know, all of these are very convicting. All of these, especially when you consider how far-reaching they are, and they touch us all, mm-hmm. and it kind of calls us to, as we have done in the last couple of weeks, this idea of repenting of our sin. Um, this prayer is called Continual Repentance. Well, why don't you use that as our closing prayer for this podcast episode? All right, let us pray. O God of grace, thou hast imputed my sin to my substitute, and hast imputed his righteousness to my soul, clothing me with a bridegroom's robe, decking me with jewels of holiness. But in my Christian walk, I am still in rags. My best prayers are stained with sin. My penitential tears are so much impurity. My confessions of wrong are so many aggravations of sin. My receiving the Spirit is tinctured with selfishness. I need to repent of my repentance. I need my tears to be washed. I have no robe to bring to cover my sins, no loom to weave my own righteousness. I am always standing clothed in filthy garments, and by grace am always receiving change of raiment. For thou dost always justify the ungodly. I am always going into the far country and always returning home as a prodigal, always saying, Father, forgive me, and thou art always bringing forth the best robe. Every morning, let me wear it. Every evening, return in it. Go out to the day's work in it. Be married in it. Be wound in death in it. Stand before the great white throne in it. Enter heaven in it, shining as the sun. Grant me never to lose sight of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, the exceeding righteousness of salvation, the exceeding glory of Christ, the exceeding beauty of holiness, the exceeding wonder of grace. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you, Bruce.